what does it mean to be an astronomer? Not that long ago, it meant making and carefully studying glass photographic plates, building up an analog record of the skies. I'm Meg Rosenberg, and today on the podcast, we're catching up with one team's effort to digitize a century of observations and to open up a time capsule of the universe. The plates are all housed in a big brick building, Building D, and it's, it's you know, half of those floors on three different floors are just filled to the brim with these half-million glass plates, shelf after shelf. That's Dr. Josh Grindley, the Robert Treat Payne Professor of Astronomy at Harvard University and the principal investigator of DASH, Digital Access to a Sky Century at Harvard. The plate collection in Building D is the world's largest, 300 tons of glass plates, each containing 50 to 100,000 stars. In these negatives, they show up as tiny black dots, where starlight has darkened the light-sensitive grains of the photographic emulsion coating the glass. That's what a photographic image is, ultimately. And they were analyzed by astronomers, some very famous ones, and very big discoveries made with the plates. Um, by putting the plate on a light table, so light shining through uniformly on a cloudy glass screen so that it's a uniform source of illumination. You put the plate on that so-called light table and literally look at the plate single star by single star at a time with a magnifying glass. That was the only way to use these plates for the century that they were taken. One of those famous astronomers was Annie Jump Cannon, whose system of stellar classification we still use today. When she was a graduate student in the 1890s, photography was just beginning to revolutionize the field of astronomy, allowing detailed measurements to be made long after the observations themselves. Looking back on that time, she wrote, the science was then at a crossroads between the old, the visual, and the new, the photographic method. Today, by making accessible a century of glass photographic plates, Grindley hopes to foster another revolution, a digital one. But merely scanning the physical photographs isn't enough. A huge and pioneering piece of the project is creating the metadata that goes into the database along with each image. Digital images alone <clears throat> would not suffice to do the science. So a big part of our effort has gone into all of the considerable software to on the fly as we go along, as we scan the plates, we are processing them and keeping up with the scanning. Having the data readily available, not just in photographic form, but in digital form, opens up a very wide array of completely different kinds of analyses that you can do. The whole philosophy of the data is to present the fully reduced, that is, magnitudes and times of all the observations that were made over the hundred years of that particular object in the skies. Relative magnitude, the standard astronomical unit of brightness, can be measured by carefully quantifying each and every one of those little black star dots. The images get broader and broader as the star gets brighter and brighter. We measure the brightness of any given star-like object by measuring, in effect, something proportional to the diameter of the image. That's qualitatively what's going on. We actually measure the shape of the image as well. And we're doing this on every plate that contains typically 50,000 to 100,000 stars. So all of those objects are having all of these very fine measurements done to infer their brightness. 
As light travels through space, its intensity falls off as one over the square of the distance. So once you've got the relative brightness of each star in the night sky, you have to account for how far away that star is to get its true brightness. That's where we get to this calibration question. How do we put things on a scale of true brightness? And the reason we can do that with DASH is that we now have catalogs over the entire sky. So bottom line, we couldn't have done this 15 years ago because there was no way to get the whole data set calibrated. And the other reason is computers and disks were too bloody expensive and too slow. <laughs> and it was clear that you just couldn't do it. But by the early 2000s, that had changed. I mean, we have very fast computers that are able to keep up and process those 50,000 to 100,000 stars on every plate and do 400 such plates a day. You know, overnight, we have all of the full data reduced from all of those stars. It's a very high-speed operation to get all of this done. The brightness of every star on every plate from 1885 to 1992. That is the goal of DASH, which reached a big milestone this past April with the digitization of the 100,000th plate. So what can we possibly learn from all of these brightness measurements? Columbia University graduate student Maria Carisi knows firsthand the value of an extra century of data. The data were important because we could set a longer uh, time frame of observations. Carisi and her colleagues used the DASH database to investigate Quasar PG-1302, a suspected supermassive black hole binary. We know from observations that uh, every massive galaxy has a supermassive black hole in their center. And when I say a supermassive black hole, I mean like a few millions to a few billions the mass of our sun. And we also know from cosmology that galaxies grow as they collide with each other. So the end product of this process is the formation of a pair of supermassive black holes. So this has been predicted for very long, and people have looked for that, but we don't have many candidates. So when this one was announced in Nature last January, Carisi was intrigued. Quasars like PG-1302 vary in brightness over time in a regular pattern, and the frequency of that variation tells us something about how these two supermassive black holes are orbiting each other. In this case, the observed period of the variation was 5.2 years, and the authors of the original study interpreted this value as the orbital period of the two black holes themselves. But there's another possibility, as Carisi explains. So from the hydrodynamical simulations of accretion disks around supermassive black hole binaries, we expect that we will have periodic variability in a quasar that holds the supermassive black hole binary. And we also expect that we will have one periodic component at the orbital period of the binary and one periodic component at a longer time scale. And this is because at the accretion disk, we have the formation of an overtense region that is hotter. And as this lamp moves around the accretion disk, we have a second periodic component. With any supermassive black hole binary, the periodic brightness variation could be the compound result of two different effects. The two black holes orbiting each other on the one hand, and on the other, the overdense region in the accretion disk surrounding them both. 
but finding a longer timescale than 5.2 years, probably about five times longer according to the models, is really hard when current data only goes back a couple of decades. That's where Dash comes in. The current data we had available was 20 years, and the Dash data adds another 100 years. So you can see that it adds five times more data. So for bright objects that could be observed by the telescopes of the time, Dash data are very useful and very important. Dash opens up a whole extra century of observations. Carisi and her colleagues didn't find a significant secondary component, but without that extra time, they wouldn't even have been able to look. And it's these types of relatively rare events, not just supermassive black hole binaries, but a whole range of phenomena that the digitization project is meant to address. The real reason for undertaking this project is that there are classes of objects, in particular things like novae, but there are things that are similar to novae, which are stars that become extremely bright for a very short period of time. There are X-ray novae, which are objects that I'm particularly interested in, which contain black holes in binary star systems. A black hole is accreting, swallowing gas from a close binary companion. And those objects only do their thing, that is, brighten up and become visible uh, on very, very long timescales, like 50 years or 100 years, and then only for a few weeks. Without decades worth of data, you'd have to be pretty lucky to catch one of these in action. The more general version of that story is any kind of object that is undergoing extreme variability almost certainly does so very rarely. So 100 years of data gives you an opportunity to look at the extreme events that nature produces, that you patiently observing over any given 10 or 20 or 30 year period will never get a chance to see. Getting an accurate accounting of these extreme events addresses all kinds of important outstanding questions about the underlying physics of these phenomena. The timescales give you very direct information on physics and of what's going on underneath. So we can go back and look for 100 years to see, did this object go off earlier in time? Because knowing how often they recur or equivalently what fraction of the time you get to see these things, we can infer how many there are in the galaxy, which is a very big question that many of us are trying to answer. So what DASH does is give you a totally new sample of how things can vary, but usually to finally get the, the full understanding, one has to be able to observe this while it's happening, and that's not as hard to imagine being able to do with 100-year-old data because when you understand how often something is occurring over these very long timescales, you can, in some cases, predict when similar episodes will occur in the future and then be able to acquire spectral data, spectroscopy, and understand even more directly what the physical conditions in the star or you know, galactic nucleus really are. With the workflow now established, it involves a custom-built plate washing machine, plate scanner, and all of the software to create the metadata, the remaining 400,000 plates will be completed in three more years. At that point, the entire sky will be accessible through the online DASH database, a petabyte or one million gigabytes of data. It's knowing as the user, astronomer, astrophysicist, or amateur astronomer, or public, whoever, what questions you want to ask of the data. 
With a century of the sky at your fingertips, what questions might you ask? Whatever they are, Dash has got you covered. You've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Meg Rosenberg, and be sure to check out our website for more information on Dash at physicsbuzz.physicscentral.com. Oh, my God.